0: Well, good morning. We are in a series called Be the Church. A lot of times we think about just going to church, but that's really not what this is all about. We are supposed to be the church. And one of the ways that we can be the church is to embrace the strategy and concept of Jesus for the church to be in community with each other. I remember sitting in the bleachers at my kid's school in the Philippines. It was a missionary kid's school. And I sat by this other guy, and I wasn't at all surprised when, after we got talking, that he told me that he also was a missionary. I mean, it was a missionary kid school, so stands to reason, you know, he was there because he was a missionary. And I asked him a question. I says, "Hey, so listen, tell me about how you came to hear about Jesus and and accept Christ. What? How did that happen?" He says, "Ah," uh, he says, "My story is really kind of boring. It's not flashy or anything." He says. The honest truth was, I grew up and um, my family didn't go to church. That just wasn't a thing for us. So I didn't know anything about church or what to expect at a church. And then someone invited me to go to this church. I was a teenager, and so I went. He says, and I got there, and uh, he says, I honestly don't remember anything that was said, what the sermon was about, or anything that went on other than this. The people in that church acted like they were glad I was there. They seemed to genuinely care about me, and they welcomed me in so well that I decided I wanted to go back. You know, the truth is this. We don't want to be somewhere where we're not sure if people want us or not. But when a church acts like the church, when the church is in community and practicing community and welcoming people, conversations can begin, and lives can be changed. You know, when Jesus began, he had 12 disciples. His primary strategy was community. And he fed the multitude, spoke powerful truths. Most importantly, Jesus Christ knew he had come as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, and it was his idea that he would build his church. Matthew um, 16, 18, Jesus says, I'm on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this is Jesus' declaration. You know how I'm gonna get this job done. I'm starting with 12 men, there will be other disciples and and on this rock, I'm gonna build my church and his church has gone worldwide, by the way, have you noticed? And how is he gonna do that? He says, I want you to be a church. The word church is ekklesia in Greek and it means an assembly of people that are coming together for a cause. It was used in political circles, like people coming together for a political party. And Jesus um, said to this group of people, I have come to serve, I have come to give my life as a ransom for, for your sin. Now, <clears throat> Mark ten forty-five is probably the, primary thematic verse in the Gospel of Mark, and we're not in the Gospel of Mark, but we can't get out of it, because here it is. This is what Jesus says. Even the Son of Man, which is who he described himself as, did not come to be served, but to serve and give give his life a ransom for many. Now here's the deal. Many times, we, we can't wait to become the one that is being served. We don't want to have to serve all the time. But Jesus had the opposite intention. He said, I have come to serve. I remember when I was a little boy in the Philippines, I was six years old, and I was going to start first grade when we arrived. And my dad uh, tried to enroll me in the missionary kids school that I talked about a while ago. But at that particular year, they told my dad, I'm sorry, we don't have another spot for a first grader. We can't accept your son. You'll have to find another school. Well, what other school in town has sort of an American-based curriculum? So they said, "We'll go to the American school uh, across town. Maybe they have room for a first grader. And so my dad enrolled me in this school, and uh, I'll never forget that, I, I, I remember hearing conversations on the phone. He was talking to the school secretary and receptionist, and he asked the question, listen, do you, I'm looking for a family in this area, here's where I live, where we can carpool and get our kids back and forth to school. Now the person he was talking to had never even heard of the word carpool. Carpool, she asked, what is that carpool? He says, well, you know, when families get together and they share rides, like I could take our kids to school one time, then they could take our kids to school another time. And what my dad and me, what we weren't fully aware of, that the American school of the Philippines was the school where the ambassadors sent their children. It was where the expat business leaders from all over the world sent their children. It was the place where the wealthiest of families in the Philippines enrolled their kids. And so, in that environment, nobody carpooled. They all had plenty of drivers and cars. And so the lady said to my dad, well, I can give you an address of someone who also has a first grader. Maybe you could talk to them. So here we are, brand new in the Philippines, a missionary family. My dad borrowed this, this scooter. I mean, it was kind of a cool scooter, actually. You know, it would put put put. put. We We go looking for this address. And we go round and round, cannot find the address. And then it dawns on my dad that the address we're looking for is in fact the compound that we're driving around. It is an entire city block. It's one address. So we putter up to the big, beautiful, ornate wooden gate. He gets out and he knocks on the gate. The security guard comes and asks him what he wants. And he tells him, well, I'm supposed to see, and he calls the woman's name because we're going to talk about carpooling. Of course, the guard has never heard of carpooling either. He goes in, comes back out, says, all right, uh, you, can, you can come in. We get into the, the compound, and it was a beautiful compound. I remember on the left was, about, it was a, a garage of about six or seven shiny Mercedes-Benz with chauffeurs standing ready to go. On this side, it was a gorgeous pool area. Behind the pool area was a a small house, couple story house, that was the housing for the maids and the household help. And we were ushered into the main living room that was a beautiful place, marble floor, and we were seated, and then finally, the woman of the house comes down to me that she was so sweet, so kind, so gracious. And as my dad proposed the idea of a carpool, she just shook her head and said, oh, Mr. Lyons, um, I have a better idea. You know, my daughter already has a car and a chauffeur and her governess takes her to school every day. We can pick Eddie up on the way to school and he can just ride with us. That was my introduction to a family that had succeeded so well they had plenty of people to serve them. In the school that I attended, that was sort of the signature socioeconomic strata that we were looking at. My, the, la- the girl that played the flute beside me in the band, her father was the general who was the chief of the armed forces of the Philippines, often pictured in the paper beside the president. The- another classmate of mine, I noticed that the main road down the the business section of the country, kind of the Philippine Wall Street, had his family name on it, and later I realized that his family developed that whole area and owned much of it. They're a billionaire family. And you know, the, the beautiful thing about those early days for me was that my dad would take me to school, and these were the people I went to school with, but then my dad would take me with him on visitation to some of the poorest of the poor people that came to the church. I mean, we would walk over little foot bridges that, that spanned open sewers. You didn't want to fall in those things, I tell you what. Um, we would visit people in little tiny shanty houses that are probably not much bigger than many of your walk-in closets. And I remember one time, um, as we're sitting there, there were rats running around this little shanty, which I thought was so awesome. Live animals in the house was a cool idea. It was a dirt floor. There was no running water. It was very, very, very simple. And my dad, when I started pointing out, Dad, look at the rats, the rats, my dad gave me that death stare. I don't know if your dad had one, but my dad did. And he said, Eddie, be quiet. And as we were leaving, my dad said this, and I love that, I treasure this we were walking out, and he says, Eddie, listen, you're not in trouble. That was a relief. But you were going to embarrass the man in that house. Remember this. Don't ever be so impressed by the poverty of the house or the beauty of the mansion that you stop seeing the people you're trying to visit they all matter to God. You know, it kind of it dawned on me. Here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the most powerful, wealthiest man to ever walk the face of the earth. And most of the time, when you acquire power, the kings and rulers and sovereigns of this world you subjugate people, and people have to serve you. And here we have Jesus who does the opposite. He says, actually, I'm, I'm not here to get you to serve me. I have come to serve you and to give my life a ransom for many. Wow. This was the message that the disciples heard. You know, this whole idea of giving his life as a ransom for many, is indicative of the problem that you and I have. You know, our impulses, some of our reflexes, some of our tendencies, the patterns of our thinking and behaving, Uh, in in more sober moments we could be honest and say, there's something wrong inside of me. Uh, In fact, this sinful nature that we have twists and distorts us to the point where we're not even who God wanted us to be and Jesus came and he says, I, I'm going I'm I'm to go and I'm going to die for you and I'll pay the ransom. You know what the, the word ransom implies? Jesus clearly implies, I need to tell you something about yourself. You're captured. But I'm going to go pay for you so you can be set free. Our death is a point of spiritual reckoning, not just an end of life. And Jesus says, I am going to pay for you. You know, the, for the wages of sin is death. Have You ever heard that verse? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus says, I'm going to go. I'm going to pay for you so that what is binding you can no longer hold you and you will be set free. And the disciples and the early people of the church were so transformed by a God who loves so much and he pays so much that after the resurrection, they gladly congregated together. There was not a story in the world more captivating than the one they had experienced walking with Jesus. And Jesus um, sends the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. We we see how the church begins to behave as they're forming. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the first one. In fellowship, that's the second. In the breaking of bread. And then, that's the third. And then fourth, in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. Did you hear that word together? That's where community happens. Were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as anyone had, had need. So continually, daily, and, one, and in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So this is what I want to say. Community is not just a nice idea. Community is the strategy to take the gospel to the world. And they did four things in this community. The first one is the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now think about it, those early people in the church, they didn't have the New Testament. I mean, they had the Old Testament, right? But after the resurrection, the, the apostles will steer with them and, and they, they would go to the apostles and they would meet daily and, and they, would, they would ask them questions like, so tell us about what Jesus said. You said something about we should love our neighbor as ourselves. what did he mean by that? How does that work? Uh, Remember when you said that that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself? So how does that work? So can you imagine the dialogues that were going on Okay, remember you said that you heard Jesus say that we're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to even forgive our enemies. We're not supposed to take revenge on enemies. We're supposed to forgive them and bless them and serve them. And so they met daily. They were eager and hunger to hear what Jesus had taught the apostles. And so they leaned in and they were there looking to hear what Jesus had told them. They were together. You know, one of the most powerful things we do in this church is that we come together in our Sunday school classes, our small groups, Wednesday night Bible studies, even on a Sunday morning, and we're leaning in to hear what God has to say. That's the first thing they were doing. Second thing they did is that they they were together for fellowship. Now, fellowship talks about the love for one another. The disciples were told by Jesus, you need to love each other. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I, I have five kids and two grandkids. And I, I am really truly astounded by how much I love my family. Do you love your family? I talk to you. I hear you talk about your kids and your grandkids and you tell me stories and we pray for the people in your family because you love your family. I love my family too. I love them so so very much. And and Jesus one day in Mark chapter 3 kind of shocks the crowd because this is what happens. His brothers and his mother came to find Jesus. I mean, they thought Jesus was losing it. They thought he was out of his head. They were gonna go get him, and, and, but they were, they were coming out of love for him. They were coming after him. And Jesus um, heard them say, Jesus, don't you know your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you? And then he answered, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Okay, so he is not saying here, I don't care about my mother, my brother, and my sisters. You know what he is saying is? He's saying, I want to tell you how much I love my my family. It's the same way I love you. You are my spiritual family. I love you with the same kind of intensity and faithfulness as I love my own family. I want you to be this kind of a community. I want you to love each other. I saw a picture of my son holding my uh, newest granddaughter who's five months old. Okay, I think we have a picture of that. You need to see this. Okay, there she is. This is Macy. She's five months old. Isn't she adorable? Just like your grandchildren. She just is adorable. And every one of us are right. Okay. And when I saw him hold Macy, I had a flashback to the moment when, just like Robert, we had two baby girls first. And I love little Eleanor. She's so adorable. She's three years old. She is naughty. It's so beautiful because I'm the grandfather and I don't have to worry about that. I think she's just adorable even when she's being naughty. I remember before Holly was born, I actually had this thought, man, I love Tiffany so much. I hope I'm gonna love Holly as much because I don't want her to feel slighted. And then Holly was born and this amazing thing happens. It's like a whole new, a whole new part of my heart gets created As I hold my second daughter, and I see that in my son. And I think what Jesus was saying was, hey, listen, the love I have for you is like the love I have for my family. I love my biological family, but my spiritual family I love just as much. The third thing that goes on in this passage is breaking bread, breaking bread. Now, this is kind of a fun passage because you know what Jesus was saying is that um, one of my great strategies is to eat with people. Do you like to do that? All right. During the life of Jesus, a lot of what he did got criticized. For instance, he, was, he got criticized for when he healed the sick and how he healed the sick and how he cast out the demons. Uh, his, his teaching sometimes got criticized. He was criticized for choosing some of the disciples. Matthew, the tax collector, was not everybody's favorite choice, so he got criticized. But you know one of the greatest things that Jesus was criticized for? He was criticized for who he ate with. In the Jewish community, they practiced a rigid form to protect their table. Their table was only designed for kosher food and for, for people who were holy. They would not ever think to invite a Gentile to their table. And they wouldn't even invite tax collectors to their table because the table was a boundary marker of who was holy and who was unholy, so tax collectors obviously were not allowed to eat at the same table as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the righteous people. Another thing you read in the New Testament about their table was this. When Jesus one time told the Pharisees, you love to sit in the place of honor because here's how it happened. If people were invited to a table, the place of honor was given to the most important person. And then everybody else fell in line after that. So you go into a particular setting where the meal is being served and you see who is in the place of honor and you know immediately who you better pay attention to and who you better, you better pay, uh, serve. And then you go all the way down the line and you see the people that are not in the place of honor. You also know who you can ignore. And that's exactly how Their tables worked. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I I don't want that to be the way we do this. I want us to honor the people, everyone. I'm going to invite people to the table in order to create space for dialogue and conversation. I'm going to invite people to my table, and I'm going to tell them, you are wanted. You are welcome. You are invited, and you are loved. In Matthew 9, when Jesus goes to the house of Matthew, he is fiercely criticized by the Pharisees for eating with sinners. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, those who are well need no physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus says, I'm gonna use this table of mine to make the outsiders feel like insiders. I'm gonna make my table a place where the people that are excluded can now be included. By breaking bread and sharing a table, he was declaring that people were welcome and invited and they would belong. I don't know if any of you remember way back when you were in elementary school, first of the year, and you go get your lunch, and you're looking for a place to sit, and you don't know anybody. And so you go and you find a table, and you're like, hey, I'm just gonna sit here. And they say, Oh, no, no, you can't sit there. That seat is safe for somebody else, not here. You remember that? And you know what they were saying? You're not welcome in this group, you're not included here. Go find your own table. You know what Jesus was doing? He says, my greatest strategy is to invite people to a table and say, you are wanted. And you're welcome. Come and eat with me. This is what Jesus was doing with the table. Um, Pastor and author Mark Moore has this to say. In a sense, Jesus' subversive message was embodied in his table fellowship. He used meals as a fulcrum for social reconstruction. Truly, Jesus turned these tables into pulpits and used them to reconfigure the world. So when it says that they ate together, that is not insignificant. Because these same Disciples went out and used the table to welcome strangers and people they didn't know. Jesus had come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus had come to include people. And one of the ways he did that was by inviting them to the table. And he tells his disciples, I want you to go out and I want you to break bread with people. I want you to eat with people. See, here, here's the truth about eating with people. If you're sharing a meal with someone, they either are your friend or are becoming your friend. And Jesus says, "That's what I want you to do." How did the church grow from three thousand and then add another five thousand? So, in such a short amount of time, you know why? They were eating with people that were outside of their circle. They were welcoming people in to a meal and at that meal they shared their stories and they heard each other and they shared what they had learned from Jesus community is not just a nice thing community was a way that Jesus would grow his church and reach the world and by the way When we get to heaven, one of the greatest features of that moment is going to be all of us together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be awesome. So I have a proposal for you. Most of us eat three meals a day. I know maybe some of you don't exactly eat three, but typical. Three meals a day. Uh, Three meals a day over the course of a year is 1,095 meals. You'll eat, typically, 21 meals this week. So here's my question. Will you? <clears throat> would you be willing to give one of those meals to someone and declare in that moment a message of acceptance and inclusion? Listen to their heart. Share your story. Tell them about Jesus. It is one of the most powerful strategies that Jesus used in the early church, to proclaim the gospel, the spirit of hospitality. That's what they did. So when we say be the church, hey, go eat with somebody. Now don't just go eat with somebody and say nothing. Eat with them and ask them their story. Tell them your story. this week I had um, a meal with someone that I didn't know very well. I just had met him at church, a brief introduction. So I contacted him and said, hey, could I take you to get something to eat? He says, sure. So we went and got something to eat. This man actually is a meteorologist in town. And um, it stirred a conversation about like the last meteorologist that I knew. Uh, That lady came and called the church because there was a devastating typhoon that hit the Philippines. She was looking for a Springfield connection for her news story. She called the church because she had heard that my family had connections to the Philippines. And so she says, can I come to your house and interview you about the typhoon in the Philippines? I said, well, sure, you can do that. So my wife and I sat with her and she came with her camera guy and, and asked us, so tell me, what have you heard from the people in the Philippines that were affected by the typhoon. And I said to her, you know, the honest truth is, we haven't heard very much because nobody's communicating. Probably the typhoon has taken out all of the towers and the wires and it's gonna be a few days. And the scariest part of this moment is, we just don't know about our friends in that area. It'll take a few days. We completed the interview. And at the end of the interview, I said, hey, by the way, I want to give you this invitation card. Uh, Come and visit us at High Street. We'd welcome you to join us. So um, that was over. A few weeks uh, later, I'm done preaching, walk down here, and um, as I'm down there, this lady comes walking up to me, and she says, hi, I'm here. And I could not remember who she was. And I'm like, great, I'm glad you're here. And boy, I'm searching this computer of mine, you know, who is this woman in front of me? She acts like I should know. Her. She said, I'm here because you invited me. Oh great, I invited her and I forgot. And then as she's talking, it dawns on me, okay, I get it. This is the meteorologist who came to the house to get the story on the Philippines. So we had a nice conversation. Several months went by, and this lady accepted Christ and was baptized. Now, I want to tell you why this is such a great story. It's because there is a couple in this church, Paul and Ruth Ann Hawkins, who saw her when she attended and went over to her and introduced themselves to her and even offered to take her with them to lunch. And she went. And then at lunch, they invited her to join their small group And she went, and everybody in that small group was at least 20 years older than this lady. And they welcomed her into their small group. And they talked, and they heard, she heard, and they shared, and and then she joined another small group. It was the hospitality of the people in this church who are willing to make a a place at their table that began the conversations that led her to understand that Jesus had come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So be the church. How do we be the church? There may be someone in this room, maybe they've attended a long time like you have, but you don't know them. Why don't you ask them to go to lunch? How about taking one of the 21 meals you have and offering it to the Lord and say to God every week, teach me who I need to go to lunch with or supper or invite them over for coffee or dinner or whatever. Be the... Community is not just a good idea. It is the strategy of Jesus to reach the world with the gospel. Will you bow your heads, please? And we're gonna conclude. And I just want to ask you um, if have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know what's amazing? Is that Jesus would invite us to his table. Jesus says, actually, I am the bread of life. I have the living water. Come to me, and I will save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He loves you. He welcomes you. He wants you to belong to him. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer.